This show brought to you by Circle of Seven Productions, www.cosproductions.com. Please be sure to subscribe and welcome to our circle. This is Patricia W. Fisher with Readers Entertainment Radio here talking to you here during Shakespeare Week. What does that mean? It just means it's Shakespeare Week. So if you like Shakespeare, you can look up a few things there. It's also National Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month. That's a hard one for me to say quickly. But um, so there are there are early, dete- early detection tests for this cancer. And so please, I know it's not a lot of fun, but if you are 50 or if you have a family history of colon cancer, please, please, please talk to your doctor about getting colonoscopy. A lot of times it's included as an annual, um, as within your insurance. And if it is, if you don't have insurance, a lot of times doctors will very much work with you because they would f- much rather catch issues early than later. Um, so please uh, talk to your health care practitioner about that. Um, and it is also... Um, awkward moments day, which could be an awkward conversation when you're talking to your doctor about your, your cancer risk there. So, but have them anyway because they're very important. But not the some of the most amazing awkward moments, of course, happen in books, and writers come up with the most amazing ones. And we have a writer today that's going to tell us all about some of the awkward moments in her fabulous new book. Um, and her name is Tracy Sondheim. Uh, she's a creative writing. Her creative writing starting in the started in the fourth grade when she published her first book. It was a bestseller mainly because her dad bought all ten copies she made on the school's prehistoric Xerox machine. From there, she moved to newspaper reporting with a monthly column in a local paper, and she got a bachelor's degree, or she earned a bachelor's degree in journalism from the University of Tennessee, and then went to Washington, D.C., where she wrote really exciting reports for Congress while pursuing a master's degree in legislative affairs at the George Washington University. And after a brief stint in television production for NBC Sports at the Seoul Olympics, most of her early writing consisted of crafting lengthy government reports. Um, really very, very stimulating stuff. But her creative writing projects had to wait until she could squeeze them in between her paying gig and her family's busy schedule. And in May 2013, her dream of becoming a published author came true with the release of her debut novel, Game On. Many books later, she's still doing what she loves. And her latest book, Just for Kicks, book one of her newest football romance series, is out now. just came out a few days ago. And you can find Tracy at her website, Facebook, Instagram, Goodreads, Pinterest, and BookBub. Welcome to the show, Tracy. How are you? I'm good. Thanks so much for having me today. So you have this amazing resume, and so I'm going to just jump right in and tell me about mm-hmm. being at the Seoul Olympics. I mean, because, like, a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, I want to cover the Olympics and go. But it is like, do you sleep that whole two weeks? I mean, how does that play out? No, <laughs> you do not. It's really funny, um, and thankfully I was young then. Um, <laughs> my parents were living in Korea. My father uh, was working over there, and my mother had a gig with the Seoul Olympic Organizing Committee as an interpreter and helping them. And in the process, she met um, the state, or the, I guess the, the regional director for NBC who was managing, you know, the bureau there um, and setting uh-huh. up before, beforehand. And she said, oh, my daughter, she's always dreamed of working in sports. You know, she would love to come over. And literally, that's how I got there. And I started wow. out, you know, just helping with the construction of the building and then, um, you know, getting all the other talent over and met you know, quite a few famous people and ended up working. Um, I was think it, I think it was a late night show. It was like on after, this is way back when Johnny Carson was on. 
uh, and father okay. practice. And but in Seoul, that was the middle of the day, so I had the the, the sure. prime. You know, you got there at five a.m. and and got off at five p.m. and a lot of times then you went and watched events or went out and did what crazy 25-year-olds do and go out drinking or whatever, and then you're, you you got to be back at 5 a.m. and be on. for So it was two weeks of nonstop sleep or work, you know, no sleep at all. But uh, it was right. probably the best, best time. It was so much fun, so much fun. What was the biggest surprise with covering the Olympics like that? I mean, you knew going in it was going to be insane and no sleep, but, I mean, what was your biggest surprise? I think the biggest surprise is how, I guess, when you meet the athletes, and we would bring a lot because, again, we were during the day, um, and early in the morning was the, I guess, the early show. Um, I can't, well, it would have been prime time, and a lot of that was done from the studio. So a lot of the athletes would come into the studio, and you'd meet them, and they're just, you know, so excited to be there. And yeah. it was such a thrill to share this pivotal moment in their lives, you know, um, mm-hmm. no matter how they did, they were just so excited to be there and finally realize a dream for, for many of them. Um, and I can remember Greg Luganis, uh, we sat and had a long chat. It was just like talking to someone, you know, your neighbor, but here he was realizing this really fabulous um, goal that he had strived for his entire life. And it was, it was kind of awesome. It, was, it really was. I've seen so many Olympics and, you know, opening ceremonies, and you're watching it. You're seeing all these athletes that have worked so hard just to get to this place. And I I tell my kids, it's like, you know what, even if they come in dead last, they're there. I I mean, like, this is an incredible experience for them. And it's it's a surreal moment, you know, for them standing there, you know, and just, and, and now you watch and you see they all have their phones and they're all taking pictures of everything because again, they've, they've worked their whole life for this and it's, it's something not everybody can do. Yeah. Yeah. We talk, and you know, we say it's like hours and hours and hours of practice, like not having right. done a bunch of the regular stuff. And, and it's funny because, you know, it, you, you see it all the time when there's big a, events like this and people are like, oh, I could probably do that. If, and it's like, no, you couldn't because you no, wouldn't be no. here. <laughs> you wouldn't be sitting here saying, I, remember, I could do that. You know. <laughs> I remember sitting one, one event. Um, I was at, um, it, Ken Burns was doing the big documentary of, of the Olympics at the time in, in Seoul, mm-hmm. and he needed someone to sit and, and run a mic on Janet Evans' parents, and it was the finals. And it, I really wanted to go to an event, so I said, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. And this is before I even knew how famous Ken Burns was or any of this kind of stuff. Right. So I'm sitting there w- with her parents as she's winning gold medal. And I'm 25 at the time, right? Now, looking back at it and looking back at my own children, and, you know, you, I just I still get that, that rush every time I see it. I was like, how proud they were sitting there. You know, it was just you're in this kind of private moment with them because you're sitting right yeah. behind them with a microphone, you know. Um, but it was it it it's just so so cool. It was a, a very cool experience. I bet. I mean, it just and and I would think that the pride would almost be smothering for them, you know, because they, we love it when our kids yeah. do well. But I mean, this is like do well. insane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really. Yeah. <laughs> so who was the most? Um, who was the funniest or the the most fun you had talking to? Um, well, probably of the talent, um, I'm trying to think, like, I got to know a lot of the NBC talent. Jane Pauley was there, who uh, was uh-huh. delightful. Um, 
uh, Ahmad Rashad was a lot. We had a lot of fun with him because he was on before our show came on. And Bob, Bob, Bob is total fun. And I still see him every once in a while. My kids laugh because they'll see the pictures of the two of us from back then. And they're like, well, uh-huh. wow, he looks no different, but you look old. I'm like, thanks. He's, thanks. Had, you know, he's on television. He doesn't look different. He's still shorter than me, and he always will be. But um, there's just, <laughs> it's just kind of a cool thing. I, there were a lot of um, famous people's kids that worked there um, that, you know, I've become friends with and through the years. Um, and a lot of them have grown up just to be just like me, kind of a normal person. But um, – I think that those were some of the things that surprised me, some of the tangential relationships that came out of it, of people that I met there. Yeah. Yeah, I took a sports journalism class. I got my uh, journalism degree at the University of, I'm sorry, Washington University in St. Louis. And the guy uh-huh. who was teaching our sports journalism class wrote a book called The Franchise, which was about the history mm-hmm. of Sports Illustrated. And then he had also, right. you know, taught all these classes. And so one day he comes to class and he brought Bob Costas and he and Bob Costas were friends. Um, yeah. He's like, oh, okay, hi. And then he, right, right. And he had just written the book Fair Ball. Um, right. So he came in and talked to us about it and gave us all copies. It was very nice. But I mean, I, you know, yeah. I remember talking to him. One of my questions was, you know, we talked about the strike, the baseball strike and everything, because mm-hmm. I got my degree mm-hmm. in 2000. Um, okay. And so the baseball strike, it happened like, what, 95, 90, right in there? Like, yeah, and late 90s, yeah. His, and his comment was, you know, the American public had the chance to pull back, the, pull the power um, right. at that time, because we could have said, well, no, we're not going to pay $400 for a crappy seat. Um, no, right. we're not going to pay 85 bucks for this. And people were like, sure, I will. Um, but... I said, I just can't wrap my head around paying somebody $35 million to hit a ball. And, and it's like, I love baseball. Yeah. I love sports. And I know it takes a tremendous amount of time and sacrifice. But right. I still have trouble with that much, you know, when it's, it's, people are struggling very, to pay. Yeah. Yeah. The basics. It's disproportionate. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's funny because I've said this a lot this week. I, um, I have um, a mother in failing health and, happened to be she happened to be in a nursing home for a little bit that where there wasn't the best care but when you look at it i'm thinking okay these people are paid so little and Mm -hmm. to care our two most vulnerable generations our children and our elderly aren't the the people Mm -hmm. that care for them aren't paid as much and then you've got these professional athletes that are making all this money and i kind of wonder you know where's the fairness in this but but well, and that's, you know, that's its own animal. I mean, in the sense of the professional sports, for sure, it's its own animal. And, and mm-hmm. in a way, it's it's not fair for us to say, in a way, it's not fair to say, well, you can't compare the two. It's like, well, yeah, I get that part, but still, it just doesn't seem mm-hmm. right, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. I had friends that worked at nursing homes when I was a nurse, and they were just like, you can't, um, what was it? One of the nurses, she said, yeah, I was working nights. And the night nurse would come in and go into every patient's room and just start throwing supplies out into the hallway that she's like, Medicaid won't pay for this, won't pay for this, won't pay for this, put it back, can't pay, you know, it's just like, and the nurses were actually bringing in cornstarch because, um, you know, you'd use baby powder. So when you'd have an incontinent patient, they wouldn't get um, sheerness, you know, it wouldn't dig into their, the sheets and stuff wouldn't dig into their hips right. and everything, and they would be um, 
I don't know, I'm trying to think of the word now, but I mean, it would be just a gentle move with on the cornstarch or baby powder. Um, right. But you could buy a box of cornstarch for 75 cents. So all everybody right. would bring in their own um, yeah. because insurance wouldn't pay for baby powder. You know? So yeah. Um, yeah. it was a lot of stuff like that. That just is so it's, it's stuff that, yeah, needs to be addressed. But that's not what we're going to talk about today because we got down the rabbit hole. Right. Okay. So, um, but, so you were doing this cool thing in Seoul, and then you, is that, were you always a sports fan, or was that just I, something you, you know, I yeah. Was. Yes, I always wanted to be, like, a sports writer, um, and I did some of that in college, um, but then, you know, I graduated in the mid-80s from college, and things were kind of crazy, and at the time, my parents were mm-hmm. overseas, um, and I had an opportunity to work, uh, it was then called the General Accounting Office, I think now it's the Government Accountability Office or whatever, there, you know, there used to be five um, offices within Congress that, you know, the OMB and the Congressional Budget Office, or uh, not OMB, Congressional oh, okay. Budget Office can, and um, the print, Government Printing Office, et cetera, and, and that was one of them where we wrote reports and testimony investigating laws that were passed and, and pro, mostly programs uh, that were uh-huh. implemented. And then you go and look at the program and say, okay, is it working the way Congress intended to when they wrote the law? Uh, sure. Are people, are the, the um, general public, is the general public being served the way it's supposed to be? Are the tax dollars being spent? So basically I did, I ended up going there and writing, writing uh, reports for them uh, for, mm-hmm several years, but then this gig came up uh, to go to Seoul, and I just took a leave of absence and then uh, went back. And my goal was, oh, I'll, I'll just go to New York afterwards. Well, it's a totally different life, you know, being a page, because basically that would be the job I would be given, would be a page up in New York. And um, I had a kind of a really nice job in D.C. So I was like, oh, never mind. Yeah. I'll go back and, and write reports. And, um, and that actually turned out very well, too, for me. Um, so... I can't regret it, but I did. I did keep in contact with with a lot of the people from NBC, and I would go back, and that was. Um, I was joked that was how I met OJ Simpson, um, probably the year before I think he was arrested, and we were up there, um, just doing a football thing, and and I think Bob was doing uh, the halftime show or something, and we popped in mm-hmm. and, and got to still meet people. So I still kept my connections with them for a while. Wow, that's, I mean that's just a lot of of different experiences, and then you. Yeah blended it with writing because you've got like a few different series and and so you've got a sports series and you've got some different stuff i mean what was you've written all this stuff and now you know here we get mm-hmm. close to 2013 what's that catalyst that gets you to write that book you're like you know what i think i'm going to finally do this well um we my husband had uh, a business that he had to sell and had a non-compete. So we had to leave the Washington, D.C. area. Um, and we okay. moved here to it's, um, the suburbs of Atlanta, which was only supposed to be kind of temporary for three years until he figured out what he wanted to be when he grew up. And mm-hmm. so I moved here with two young kids, but they were already in school, and I didn't really know anybody. And I, I was kind of still subcontracting and going back and forth to D.C. Um, and I was kind of bored. <laughs> And I thought, well, yeah. I'll start reading. And I started reading for pleasure. And then I'd read a book and I'd be like, well, I could do better than that. And we went right. to the beach and I brought books with me and I ran out of them and there was no place to buy any more books. So I just had a legal pad and just started writing. And that actually turned into Game On, um, the very first book I wrote. 
Um, and then it was just I joined writing groups here at the, the Georgia Romance Writers uh, very quickly, mm-hmm. and they have a fabulous conference every year. That, and they brought in editors, and, and they have a contest, and they had agents there as well. And I, I finaled in the contest the very first year and got a contract and, um, and an agent, and that was it. So, uh, and I just kind of kept on writing. And it's nice now because, again, I can still do stuff and, and you know, meet people, but I didn't need to, you know, be, I don't know, going to the school every day to try to meet other moms or whatever. I kind of built my own life here and my own sure. career and and um it was just just kind of the circumstances of life you know i i was too bright after the first couple months i was like oh okay i'm used to working at breakneck speed and managing kids and everything else and, and i remember my kids were like go away <laughs> you know go yeah. do something for yourself um so yeah so that's kind of how it how it got started I'm very lucky. I with, think, yeah, you know, being in the right place, right time, and and the right genre at the right time. Sports romance was just getting picked up again, pretty, uh, uh, you know, turning hot again. And I just, I think, I was just in the right spot at the right time. Right, and I think too, it, I think there's a lot of readers out there, women uh, readers who love sports romance, and it's not just oh, you mm-hmm. know, hot athlete. I mean, we know the game, we know the sport, exactly. you know, we know. Yeah. And that's a big deal because I think it's it, it talks to those of us that are like been sitting there listening and absorbing and learning this whole time. And then, of course, being the person in a group that's like, oh, come on, seriously, that's not, you know, and, and they go, really, you yeah. know this? I'm like, I don't understand why I wouldn't. Come on. Right. Yeah. Well, and I, so. I get a lot, particularly this book, it's really funny, the reviews, um, you, you get the people to pick it up and like, oh, I don't want to be too sporty. And then you get the other people to pick it up and they're like, oh, well, this is good. There's just enough, you know. I, there, mm-hmm. it, there isn't a lot of, you know, description of the plays or, or any of that kind of stuff. And some, some authors do that very well, um, particularly the hockey ones. I love all that, you know, the, the description, the defense <laughs> yeah. and the line changes and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I do think I try to be really accurate about what the day-to-day life is uh, for an athlete, when, even when they're not playing, you know, during, during the week. And there's lots of mm-hmm. um, sites out there that you can go to. I, I subscribe to the Players' Tribune, which Derek Jeter started years ago. Um, and basically, it's, it's a blog that athletes write, and they'll tell you kind of what, you know, what their life is like. And the the character um, Dex in, in this book is kind of a, an amalgamation of quite a few people, but one of his character traits is um, he's very good at math. Um, he's got a, a, a degree from MIT, a, a doctorate, um, and there is a player for the Baltimore Ravens. That's what he, he had a doctorate from MIT was a math guy. And he would go into, you know, the inner city and teach math to some of these underserved children. Um, so mm-hmm. that I kind of, you know, you don't know those stories are out there. You, you just think it's all the glitz and glamor, but there's a lot of real life stories and athletes are kind of live just a normal life. They get paid a little more, but you know, uh, so I, I try to focus more on that than, than some of the glitz and glamor. And right. plays and stuff. And, because you don't want people to be too overwhelmed. And I was very happy with this book at the, at the reviews that there's just, you know, people from both sides were like, oh, oh, you know, I, w- I was hesitant because it was sports or I was hesitant because it wasn't going to have enough sports, you know, and everybody seems to be happy. And, and so I know I've, I've done my job with this one. Right. Well, yeah, there's a lot. There's a um, – actually, uh, is he play for Kansas City? Um, he's an MD. Like, he mm-hmm. – 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's just well, he, all I sorts of. Yeah, he didn't play this season because he's up in France. He wanted to, or up in Canada, because French Canada, French right? Canadian. He wanted to stay in, and um, but, and and it's really funny because I did a lot of stuff on the kickers because this this player is a kicker. Kansas City's kicker right. has a clothing line. He's hysterical. He has the best, and I I think I want to do that with one of my one of my characters is have them have this clothing line, and, and that's a whole other element for a romance, you know, where you can go with it, where it's not. Um, every day in the football, you know, in the in the football part, but football's still involved. But there's they have right. other lives, other aspects to their lives besides the game. Um, most of them, right? And you know, I see that, uh, and it seems to be more so. And I even see it with entertainment. Is you know, back 50, 70 years ago, it was you just did in you know, Hollywood. You just did movies. Are you just did TV? Are you just, you know you just did this? Right. And then when people started crossing over, um, they started realizing that there was this, all this work that, they, that could be done. And then they started diversifying. Well, then when um, you didn't act all the time, then you learned to produce or you directed or you learned to write. Or then you opened a clothing boutique. Are you, you know, blah. And so now it's like you have to have seven different things going on just for the next step out of that world. Right. To have this, you know, right. all these baskets. Exactly. Yeah, you know, and, and professional athletes, you know, they that know way. that their time is limited because of just physical, exactly. physical abuse. Yeah, right. And they've got to, they're planning. They're constantly, you know, planning for for what comes next. You know, um, mm-hmm. if they, if they're smart, you know, that's what they're doing. And if they're getting good advice, you know, they're planning. Yeah, for what they'll do afterwards. Right. So tell me how you came about this particular story. Um. You know, it's funny because I was starting to read some books that, I, you know, I always loved the Scottish hero. I love to read um, historical romance. Um, and, I, you know, Outlander had come out, and there was there was a lot of modern-day books written about, you know, Scottish romance heroes, Patience uh, Griffith. I, I, I think um, Julia London did one under another name, a pen name. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, so I'd read a couple of them. And I thought, oh, wouldn't it be fun to have to write a book about, uh, you know, a modern-day Scottish um, hero? And but then I kept getting, you know, people going, please go back to football, please go back to football, because I did a little bit of romantic suspense in between. And right. um, I thought, well, how could I, how could I meld this together, you know? And then I thought, well, what, what would someone from Scotland do on a football team here? Well, be a kicker probably if you played soccer, you know, <laughs> over there. So that's kind of how it came about. Um, moving it to Milwaukee was, was funny because uh, my first series is set in Baltimore, which I used to live in D.C., and the Baltimore Ravens Stadium is literally around – or training facility, excuse me, is literally around the corner from where my in-laws live. So I kind of knew like, oh, wow. where they would go, where they would hang out, you know, where they would live, all that, all that kind of stuff. Um, but but I, I wanted to set it somewhere different just to, deviate, you know, differentiate between the two series and – I've been right. in Baltimore, uh, I'm sorry, Milwaukee, several times for a reader event. And I just thought, okay, this is a city that's kind of like Baltimore. It's just, you know, good, old-hearted uh, American, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. um, there, it's, it's, you know, cold weather and, and lots of hardworking people who really love their sports. So I thought, okay, and kind of a mid-sized city. Um, so I thought, well, this is good, you know. So that's that's kind of why I ended up setting it there. Um and kind of the rest took off from there. <laughs> it was an easy one to write. These two characters um, 
for, for some reason, they fit together right away in my head. It, it doesn't always work that way, and I know you know this, too. It, it's sometimes yeah. it's a little struggle to figure out, okay, who's the right fit for this person? Um, so, but this one, this one came together very quickly. I always love to see the stadiums and other, uh, you know, I grew up watching the Oilers and, you know, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I remember us, you know, the Astrodome was enclosed um, in Houston. Right. And so I remember seeing plenty of games in like Pittsburgh and it's open in Chicago and, and everything. And I just, I always wondered why do the Northern, <laughs> the Northern teams have open stadiums open. Um, and <laughs> open, like, like Green Bay, it's in the middle of a neighborhood. Like it is. It just, it is fascinating there. We, I went up, uh, actually, I was up there for Writers Police Academy when I was doing my romantic suspense stuff. And um, my husband came with me. He's like, well, I want to go to the stadium. I said, oh, I do too. And you're right. It is, like, people have their houses almost backed up to it. And now mm-hmm. next door to it, they have, like, a winter theme park with um, tubing and all that kind of stuff. It's so much fun. And the town is, is just, and we were there in August, and he went to a game. I was doing events um, at the conference, but he went to a game. And he said it was just it's just everybody's so nice and everybody it it if you walk around the town everybody had a jersey on. Everybody was so excited. It's game day, we're all wearing our jerseys, we're all doing this, you know. Um, but it and I we went on a tour of that stadium and, and since then I've gone on tours of other stadiums because I kinda wanna see, you know. Um so right. it, and that's fun too, you know. You, the the artwork in some of these places is unbelievable. What they what they put up in some of the you know, the hallways or in these suites or whatever. Um and that's something we, we had gone on a tour years ago of Kentucky uh, uh Churchill Downs and in Kentucky and the artwork there totally blew me away. Mm-hmm. So now when I go to other sporting places, I'm always looking, oh, well, what do they have, you know? And that it just seems so, um, I don't know, so totally polar opposite to go to a sports stadium for it to have gorgeous artwork, but they do, you know? It's just they do. kind of the way they do it. And you, you wouldn't think of it. but And that's something I think I try to try to present in the book so so a reader knows, you know, wow, that's kind of that's kind of weird, but it's, that's what, you know, that's what's there when you go in. Yeah, with uh, my daughter got um she sold like I don't know a bunch of something in middle school for the fundraiser, and she ended up getting a tour of the AT and T center like behind the scenes. Well, the AT and T oh, center is wow. where all the, a lot of the concerts are. You have hockey, you have mm-hmm. the rodeo, you have Spurs basketball, and at the time Stars basketball. They're now in Las Vegas, uh, the women's team, mm-hmm. and so. We're going backstage, you know, behind the scenes, and, and they're saying, oh, yes, and then this is this, and this is this, and they show us the locker rooms. And, of course, the the shower, like the heads of the shower are, like, way tall, like two feet taller than <laughs> I am. Um, because otherwise these players would have it, like, shooting it, the, stray, the spray in their belly buttons, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. And it's weird. And then the, the press room is really small. I mean, it looks like it would be this huge place, but it's not. And then, but they were also talking about how it's a huge mess during the rodeo because they bring in all this dirt and then people are walking oh, wow. in and out. And they said it takes forever to get it cleaned because the Spurs go on the road uh, in February and they just, you know, they're gone the whole month be- because of the rodeo. Um, and then they were talking about how quickly they transform the, you know, the court to the ice, and the I mean, ice, it, was just, yeah. it was just, it was it was fascinating to see the whole yeah. thing. I mean, it's like it's, it's whole, own city. It, and it's like, it's, it's, it, yeah, it's its own city, and it's, it's, it's a 
total career, you know, um, that someone could get into that the logistics of transferring it from one to the other is, is um, mm-hmm. someone can make a career out of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's it's just amazing the, the, the work, I mean, the amount of time they get out of that thing. It's There's a lot going on. And, of course, there's a Whataburger, so, you know, it makes it totally worth yeah, it to go out there because there's Whataburger. Um, yeah. So you've got book one here, and it's just for kicks, and it came out this mm-hmm. week, correct? Yeah, Monday. Like Sunday. Yeah, Monday. Monday. Yeah, Monday. Um, Monday. So yeah, this is the first book. How many are you planning Correct. for this series? There's definitely – it's funny. I think of books in terms of threes. I don't know why, but I always have. Sure. There, there are two other characters that really um, uh, made their – you know, they, they pretty well – they're entrenched, you know, kind of into the story. Um, sure. Luke and Trey, the quarterback. Um, and – both of them might have really plotted out where they're going and their books, um, but there is also the potential for someone. And I did bring in this book characters from the Blaze book, the, the, the ones based in Baltimore are in this first book. Um, and there's, there's a spot for someone else to come over. A lot of my readers are asking me for this um, young woman's story, so I may be able to work that out in a fourth book. I'm not sure yet. Um, but in the meantime, I've got another series that readers have been at and bloggers have been really bugging me for, um, and it's the Second Chance series, which we I had two books with Penguin, and um, then we kind of stopped the series. And there's another brother hanging there and a sister and everything else. So the, the third brother's story is coming out at Christmas uh, in October. It's a Christmas story. Um, okay. So I'm kind of going to be going back and forth, I think, between the two. I, I'm not sure that the, the two, the, the next two um, in the Milwaukee Growler series, I might be able to write concurrently. I haven't tried that before, uh, but they're kind of flowing as I'm plotting them at the same time. Mm-hmm. And it would be fun to kind of make two books happen in the same time frame, in the same season of football. Um, and both of these guys get their story at the same time. So I, I'm going to play with that as soon as I finish this Christmas book is due um, in the middle of April, April 15th. So, after that, I jump into the next football that would probably come. The, the goal is to have it come out in January of next year, right around the Super Bowl. Uh, oh, so, nice. Yeah. So it's kind of like these players are really, I mean, these characters are really talking to you, like they're making it easy right now. Yeah. Right. And, and it's <laughs> nice. It is nice. So that doesn't always happen. Um, but no. uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes. I mean, I have started doing a little more dictation, and it's funny. I have low vision, so... I type what I call a type blind. I don't look at the key, the, the screen when I'm typing because I can't really see it, and it's better for my eyes not to focus on it. But when mm-hmm. you take away that keyboard and try to get me to do dictation, I can't think without my fingers on the keyboard. So I've learned to kind of play around with that, and I'm doing a little more dictation. And then I'll sit down and look at what I've dictated and kind of move it around, and I'm not spending as much time in front of the computer screen, which – helps a little bit and I seem to be getting more words down that way I know oh, wow. I'll probably have to spend a lot of time editing but um, I think that I'm hoping that'll be easier at the end so we'll see we'll see how this right. works out what are you using for your dictation for sure. yeah uh, right now I'm using word uh, the new Microsoft okay. 365 I've always used word because you can use it on your phone and also um, it, I, I had Dragon for a while. Uh, Word is a little bit easier for me because for some reason it knows what I'm saying. I don't know why, mm. but uh, Dragon I had a little problem with interpretation of different words and things. So 
Um, but I, you know, people are, love Dragon as well. Um, but right now you can, uh, with the new Word 365, you can use it on your phone. So I do. And I used to dictate, you know, into my phone into notes all the time, and then I right. would download them. But this is so much better. So oh, nice. It's kind of a new, a new tool I'm trying out this year, and it's, it's, it seems to be working. Well, I'm laughing about your dictation and, and then uh, picking up words because there's this great video, and I don't know if you've seen it, but it's um, – I can send you the link, but it's this – um, two guys in a voice-activated elevator, and uh-huh. they're in Scotland. Um, oh, no. <laughs> and so they get in. Yeah, it, it's already a disaster. And so um, it's um, voice-elevated, you know, voice, voice-activated voice elevator in Scotland. You know, and the guy's like, yeah. Wow. And, and they keep saying 11. And so this, that's a joke in the house is, what time is it? 11. What? 11. You know, and it just gets worse because <laughs> it's not picking it up. Um, wow. And it's slowly and clearly. And they they get more and more enraged with it. And um, <laughs> it's just it's just so funny. And I have a, a brother-in-law we were talking about. Um, I mentioned a friend of mine knows how to do um, court reporting. But she was talking about because of the need for closed caption on movies and such, there's like this massive amount of work for anybody who can type really quickly. Um, especially for court reporting. And he said, oh, that doesn't make any sense because computers are going to – you do computer dictation. I was like, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's not even yeah. – not going to happen. Not even um, and No. Yeah. It's, no. it's getting even better now, all the time. Yeah. Because, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, I've been trying this for years because, again, I've had low vision for, well, most of my life, and it's gotten worse as the years go by. And so I, I try everything that comes out. And the difference between now and a decade ago is unbelievable. Uh, mm-hmm. So at some point we might be there, but I don't know. I don't know how accurate. It's still, you know, that you always find mistakes. Oh, for sure. Well, and, and, ac- and regional dialects and, and accents and slang, exactly. and it just, it would, yeah. it would yeah. be difficult to pick everything up. It would be great if it were a good, you know, 80 to 90 percent decent but there's sometimes yeah. I've actually dictated and I look at I'm like I don't what is that <laughs> what, what what's is that gobbledygook yeah I don't, I don't what I didn't say that <laughs> I don't think I said that so yeah it's fun um but it's cool that your readers are, are reaching out to you about characters I mean that was that a character oh, yeah. that you thought they would reach out about or or were you surprised um, I, now I wasn't surprised. I, I, again, cause like I said, I've had a lot, a lot of people reach out and say, I want this, I want that. Um, I, no, no, they, they've been very vocal since the beginning. So I, I wasn't surprised, but I'm, I'm hoping I give them what they want. You know, <laughs> I don't want right. them to come back to me and say, well, no, you didn't do it right. You know? And it's a little weird. I mean, you know, I'm sure the first time that somebody wrote to you, you're like, oh, well, that's nice. You know, that's nice that, she, you know, he yeah. or she would want to know more. And then another one asked, you're like, okay, after a while, you're just like, people do know these are fictional, right? Like, exactly. like but you have to give them their happily ever after, you know. Exactly. Um, yeah. yeah. It, it's yeah. Um, a compliment and weird all at the same time. Exactly. That's what I, I keep thinking. I'm like, you know, you know, this person, I can make her do whatever she wants because she's 
I created her, you know, it's like, this is my cyborg, you're not yours, you know, I can do whatever I want with it. But I do get it. A lot of people, they love, and this is why they love series, you know, this is why we write, a lot of us write series, because they want to see the whole, you know, the kids grow up. Like, look at Virgin River or things like that, you know, you see the kids from when they're kids in there, but then the later books, they're adults and they're getting their own story. And people mm-hmm. love that because, again, they want the closure. They want the um, they want to see people happy because it makes them happy. And right now, given the way everything is, people are so desperate to have something that they can escape and be happy at the end. So, you know, I'm, I'm flattered in some cases, but in other cases, I'm like, well, could you just let her go? Because I don't know what's going to happen to her yet. And they've taken me, right. I think, five years is when I wrote she's from sleeping with the enemy and she's the character's um, younger sister, the hero's younger sister. And um, everybody's like, please, when are we going to get her, her resolution? I said, when I know what it is, you'll get it. You know? And I think I figured it out. Yeah. The very first book I wrote, I had somebody run up to me and a friend of mine, she read it. It was really, I was like, Oh, thank you for reading my book. And, She's like, so what about so-and-so? And I went, I don't know. What about so-and-so? She goes, well, you can't leave it like that. you got to fix it. Right. right. <laughs> it's like, um, I well, wasn't planning to fix it. She's like, well, you have to. <laughs> you well, that's can't. I like, had oh. an editor tell me, I had an editor tell me, she goes, well, this is your, your, your penance for writing really secondary characters that aren't stereotyped. They, they have depth to them. You know what I mean? You, you've created a character there that now – you know, your your reader wants to know because you did a good job creating the, this character, and it's not exactly. just some stereotype on a page. You know what I mean? Right. Like they're invested. I mean, they, that character yeah. spoke to them somehow. So yeah. 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 Um, so so you've written um, suspense and you've written um, sports romance. What haven't you written mm-hmm. yet that you want to write, or um, what other you know genres within that like other sports or other types of suspense are you wanting to write? Um, well, not, right now I've got one kind of on the back burner all plotted out that isn't – some people would call it season romance, but these women are in their mm-hmm. 40s, and I'm in my 50s, the end part of 50s, so I didn't consider 40s season romance. But at any rate, I know. Um, I, I really it, – it's more women's fiction, um, and, and it might even be single point of view. I, I'm not – I think I can do it that way, and, and this is the first time I've ever thought of even doing that. I love dual point of view because I love to be able to see what's in each character's head. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm toying with writing this book, and, again, they're three sorority sisters, and they would each probably get their own book, but I would like to write it in their – just their singular point of view, which is really hard right. to pull off, particularly if it is – they would be somewhat of a romance, but it's more women's fiction. Um, so that, I think that the next thing I would like to try, uh, if I'm mm-hmm. going to branch out into something else. Um, and the books are there all plotted out kind of mostly in my head, but there are scenes written for the first book. And I think when I kind of get the nerve to try it, I, I, <laughs> I will. But, it's you know, it's hard. And, and the, the, the romantic suspense, I – I think I had left Penguin, and my agent was like, oh, this is what's selling, this is what's selling. And I kind of thought, well, I don't know if I could write that. Um, but I, the idea came to me, you know, about this pastry chef in the White House and a, you know, Secret Service agent, and she's seen something that she doesn't realize she saw. 
that's, mm-hmm. you know, going to put her in danger. And so, it was, it, and it was a book that I had kind of drafted um, years ago. Um, and so I was able to put it in the White House and things like that. And, and it turned out writing suspense was a blast because whenever, you know, the story starts to lag, well, you just, you know, blow something off or kill someone or, or whatever. <laughs> and you've got, you know, another, a very easy plot point. And my daughter would, she was a freshman in college and she would call me. She's like, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm setting fire to the Metro right now. I'll have to talk to you later. She said, I hope no right. one's monitoring these calls or these texts, you know? Um, so it was right. in that Don't way. Don't check my search history. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I know what this drug is that will paralyze you in an instant, you know? So, um, so yeah. in that way they were, they were fun. And there's a character there also that people have, I've gotten a lot of letters um, about, we can't wait till her book comes out. And I was like, well, she wasn't. And the, the, the funny part is she's based on a real person. One of my readers who had won, oh, I'll name a character um, after you in the book, you know, a secondary character. Well, the character grew right. over the three books. And now everybody's like, well, when is Christine getting her story? So Christine's like, well, when I get to pick who plays me in the movie and who my romantic lead is, then you can write it, you know. Right. So, um, so it, you know, it's, it is funny. People get attached to the characters again as as the series goes on. So we'll see. Yeah. We will see if she ever gets her. I, I have an idea for her, but there's so many books, so little time. <laughs> I know. I think about that. I'm like, if I had a magic wand and I could just, you know, have all my books written beautifully, like amazingly, mm-hmm. and then it's and then I think all the books that I've started or noted or thought about or, you mm-hmm. know, even, and they were all done tomorrow, I would still have like 50 other ideas that would pop up in my head. And it's just, it's exactly. never ending. Yeah. You, um, you the space it's a blessing and a head. curse, you know? <laughs> yeah. You, you freed yeah. up space for more stories to pop in, you know? Yeah. It's, and, well, it's and funny because it's like, you know, it would be fun to write about, you know, just randomly, random stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. every day yeah. there's stuff yeah. that you could do. Yep. Yep. And, and it's, yeah, I, this it just, is my first yeah. true indie book um, that I've done on my own. And there's so much to that aspect as well that I had mm-hmm. no idea about. Um, so I haven't gotten a lot of writing done in the last four or five weeks because it's been a learning curve. And every night my husband comes home from work and he's like, but it's okay because the next time you're not going to have to learn it, you know, but I, cause I get frustrated. Right. I'm like, I should be writing. I should be writing. Uh, so it's, 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 it's been, uh, it's been a, a different one, but I, I'm, I'm happy with how it came out and, and the response that people have been giving it and the reviews that it's been getting have been absolutely stunning to me. So, um, so I was, yeah, I'm pleased that I took the time to do it right. And uh, now I can hurry through the next one because I know what I'm doing. <laughs> Hopefully. Right. Well, and you know, you kind of that first book cover pick too is is hard. And this was just you just knocked whoever did it just knocked it out of the park. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Lee Lee Hyatt gets the credit for that. Yeah. And you know, and now you've kind of got a baseline, so you know how the other covers would probably look. And you know, it's and but yeah, all that initial work for sure is just is I think is definitely laying the groundwork for it. And then you stack on top. So. You want to do right. it right, like you're saying, because you want to have right. a stable stable ground for the next one. Right. Yep. And and it's yeah. funny, you know, the the cover debate was was you know what what do you do because these illustrated covers are here, and I could have done something so fun with that. Um, but mm-hmm. I put it out there to several reader groups that which 
which one is selling right now in sports romance? And, and they all wanted still the shirtless guy on the cover. And I'm like, all right, we're going to go with it. But Bookstore yeah. had several friends who own, who own indie bookstores. And they're like, no, no, put the other cover on it because it'll sell better. And I'm like, I, you know, I have to kind of go with what the, the majority of the readers want. So, sure. um, so that, that was probably the hardest part was, was deciding which way to go with the cover um, because it right. could have gone either way. Um, and and um, and that's the thing that I didn't realize I had to do is really go out and you know crowdsource some stuff and figure out what 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 people want. Yeah, and some you know it, it's it's it, sometimes you don't know because we've I've seen a lot of authors yeah. recently changing their covers like two and three times right. in the past few years. So yeah, I mean sometimes it's it's what works today. So um, exactly, and nothing exactly. says you can't change it later. So yeah. exactly, sure. Well, tell me, promise me you will come back when your next book is out, and I we can talk to. some more. Yeah. Yay! Yeah, I would love so, to. Yay. So, if you've been listening, this we've been talking to Tracy Sonheim. Her book out, is out now, just for kicks. It's the first one in her new football romance series. You can find Tracy at her website, Facebook, Instagram, Goodreads, Pinterest. Book club, a book bub, and all of those links are in the write-up of the show, as well as the link to the book. So thank you again, Tracy. I really appreciate you. Oh, thanks for having me, and have a great rest of the day. You too. And everybody, keep on reading and stay safe. This show brought to you by Circle of Seven Productions, www.cosproductions.com. Please be sure to subscribe, and welcome to our circle.